0: This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we ask the question... Listen, I never saw you before. You know, 1,300 years ago, those morons walked beside you and half of them can't see you. Why are you not roaring at them? Well met, adventurer, and welcome back to Ye old Rotten or Righteous. Before I ferry you away to a fantastic land of magic and articulate beasts, allow me to introduce my companions on this voyage to Narnia. He can collect nuts and then throw them at the Telmarines. He's
1: Luke Taylor. Ahoy there, fellow Narnian adventurers.
0: Scott couldn't be here this week because he still cannot find a way out of the wardrobe that he
1: locked himself in last week. If he had watched the movie, maybe he could get out.
0: Yeah. In all reality, Scott <laughs> Scott just keeps double booking himself. But we had him on for th- because he texted me and said that he could come on, this is a quote, for, for half an hour. Because I really wanted him to record his anger about the, the first movie, taking the gospel and, and turning it into a, a fantasy story. But, um, well, Scott didn't watch the first movie. But you would say, but didn't Scott watch a movie knowing that he was going to come and record? Yeah, he did. He watched Prince Caspian, which I don't. <laughs> I don't think this is the best movie to start if you're going to try to understand it. Uh, and as for me, I'm King Zach the Malignant. Before we begin, I do feel the need to thank IMDb for the incredibly detailed plot synopsis that was on their website because it really helped me prepare for this week's episode because I watched this movie kind of halfway. I watched it all the way through, but like only half of my intention was on it at any given point. It really didn't just capture my attention like last week. You and me both. But uh, maybe we'll learn something new as we go through this. We are watching through the Chronicles of Narnia trilogy, and last week we watched through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in case maybe you forgot or maybe you just need a refresher, let's get us caught up. The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe takes place following the Blitzkrieg that Germany carried out on London back in the 1940s. The four Pevensie siblings are sent from the bombed city of London to a, the relative safety of their uncle, the professor. And uh, they live on his northern estate while the war is going on. In the professor's sprawling manner, the youngest Pevensey, little Lucy, stumbles upon a portal between her world and the land of Narnia inside of a wardrobe. And things are different in Narnia. For one thing, uh, there are creatures that do not exist on this earth, like Mr. Thompson. It's not Thompson. What's his name? (laughs) Tumnus. Mr. Tumnus. Mr. Thompson.
1: (laughs) Well, Tumnus is a dumb name. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I was born as a Tumnus. Tum to tum tum tumness. Also glad I wasn't born with goat legs. He (laughs) inverted. It is a lucky thing they were
0: able to remove that pigtail that you were born with, but um, that's true. Yeah, like the fawn tumness, which is just a creepy James McAvoy with goat legs, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and even the most normal animals. In Narnia have the ability to speak. Soon, Lucy is able to escort her other siblings, Peter, Susan, and Edmund, into Narnia. And once the siblings are there, they they meet the beavers, a a lovely couple of, well, beavers, who tell them about Jadis of Charn, better known as the White Witch, who had conquered Narnia a hundred years previously. Since then, the witch had wreaked havoc on Narnia, and cast the magical land into perpetual winter. This phenomenon is aptly named the Long Winter, where it is always cold and snowy and Christmas never comes. Their only hope is to meet up with the great lion Aslan, fight the witch, and fulfill the prophecy that states that the winter will end when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve, that is, humans from Earth, sit upon Narnian thrones and rule the land. During their stay at the Beavers, Edmund, who was tired of living in Peter's shadow, abandons his brother and sisters and travels to the White Witch's Fortress to give her his support. Edmund is immediately bound and then forced to accompany the witch as they chase down Peter, Susan, and Lucy in an effort to stop them from reaching Aslan in an effort to stop them from ever sitting on the throne. But this effort is unsuccessful as the three loyal Pevensies reach Asland and ask the frightening, although wholly good lion, for help saving their wayward brother. A repentant Edmund is rescued by centaurs and reunited with his siblings, but their joyful reunion is short-lived, because the White Witch soon arrives and demands Edmund's blood, which is hers by right according to a statute of old magic which states the blood of any traitor belongs to the Witch. Aslan selflessly volunteers to sacrifice his life for the life of Edmund, and the lion is bound, beaten, and ultimately killed upon the great stone table by the witch and her horde of terrifying monsters. What the White Witch did not know was that Aslan's sacrifice fulfilled another part of the old magic statute that stated that when an innocent life was given for a guilty one, the statute would be fulfilled and nullified. By fulfilling the statute, Aslan was brought back through old magic and raced to meet the White Queen in battle. However, Peter and Edmund are already leading the Narnians into battle when they hear of Aslan's death, not knowing of his resurrection. And so, in the fords of Baruna, the two brothers begin to fight, and the witch seems to have the upper hand until Aslan arrives and turns the tides of the battle. The White Witch is defeated, and Narnia is once again free. Following that victory, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy or, are crowned king, and Aslan returns to his homeland across the sea for several years. The Pevensey king and queens rule Narnia kindly and justly. Later on, years later, while on a hunt, the Pevenseys come across the old portal that brought them to Narnia so long ago. And the four rulers go through the portal and emerge from the wardrobe to find that they are children again. And only seconds have passed on Earth since they first left their uncle's estate. With the promise that they would return to the magical land someday, the children go on to live their lives on Earth. Don't you wish all my summaries were that short?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a five-minute podcast.
0: I apologize for Saptry. the way I sound today, dear listeners. I failed to understand that Kentucky was uh, apparently built into a blade of grass, and so my allergies are running rampant.
1: But what I we have, have allergies to grass,
0: life, life allergies. Life. No, I think it's just probably tree pollens high. I don't know. I'm looking up weather.com to see what the allergy forecast is. Do you know they have that? Is that a thing? On weather.com? Seriously? How do they know yeah. that? Like what
1: trees are blooming when?
0: Right now, grass pollen is what's in the air right now at 262 grains per cubic meter of air. I want to know how
1: they measure that. How do they measure grass pollen? Oh,
0: but tree pollen's also really high. But tomorrow, tree pollen is going to be moderate, while grass pollen is going to be very high. So we'll see whether it's the tree pollen that's making me miserable or the grass pollen.
1: Hmm. I'm intrigued. Grass pollen, or actually pollen counts, are generally taken with a system called a rotorod.
0: That was my nickname in high school.
1: Rotorod? Mm Mm-hmm. That sounds kind of dirty. It was. The sampling device uses silicone grease-coated clear rods that test the air on the schedule.
0: Alright, let's get into the actual movie. In Narnia, over a thousand years have passed since the fabled High King Peter and his siblings have vanished from the land. In that time, Narnia was conquered by the Telmarines, under the leadership of Caspian I. Prince Caspian X, an orphan child who is in line to inherit the throne when he comes of age, is asleep in his chambers in the Telmarine castle. He's meant to be a young man in his teens, but in this movie he is clearly a 20-something man with a full 5 o'clock shadow playing a young man in his teens. <laughs> he looked real old. That's all I'm saying. In the book he's like He, he didn't look him. that old. He's like, it's the boy prince! But in the movie he's like, I'm 45. Life's been hard. <laughs> <laughs> in a different part of the fortress, Caspian's uncle the Lord Protector Miraz is apparently beside his wife as she's being murdered. Uh, not really. The Lady Protectress Pruna Prasimia has just given birth to Miraz's only child, a son. But uh, as she was acting through giving birth, Protectress Pruna Prasimia, which is a great name uh pruna persimia it's fun to say um she just screamed to no end like she it it sounded like she was being stabbed i don't know i've seen a woman give birth namely my wife not just some random woman my wife i saw my my wife give birth to our son and it it looked like a painful process but she wasn't like "Ah!" the whole time
1: well uh she probably had some of that good good modern medicine yeah, they ain't got the... none of that back in Prince Caspian's day.
0: No, what they would do was take a halberd and just wrap a woman right on the tailbone, <laughs> tell
1: her to think about that pain instead of the. Is that what happened? <laughs> I'm going to have to ask the medieval gynecologist about that.
0: It was called the ye old gynecologist. <laughs> Clearly, women scream when they're in labor because they have demons. Rub these two slices of lemon upon your eyes, and if that doesn't take care of it, pay 50 pence to the church.
1: (laughs) She probably didn't, yeah, she didn't pay her, she didn't pay her uh, indulgences. Medieval medicine. It's a
0: sham. I want to go back in time to medieval England and become a doctor, because you do whatever you want. I mean, think about that for...
1: Basically. Like,
0: you don't have to know medicine. Saya, Saya, my son has been bitten by a deadly asp. Bring me a goat and a knife. (laughs) 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 Yeah, and you don't want to be too good at medicine, because if you start actually healing people, they'll probably think you're practicing sorcery, and
1: then, boom, you're burned at the stake. And then they won't come back and give you their money so I you, there's incentive I, to keep people sick. I know
0: that my son, my daughter, my first, second, and third wives, my grandfather, and my mother have all died at your hands, but you are a godly man, sir, Doctor. Clearly you know what's going on. So yeah, the Lady Protectress, Pruna Persimia gave birth to Miraz's only son. Miraz, knowing that as long as Caspian lives, his power and his newborn son' power is only temporary, orders his right hand. General Glazel, to go and murder his nephew. And how does this murder take place, you may ask? Are they going to slit Caspian's throat as he sleeps? Maybe poison the rightful king? No. Glazel opts for a more subtle method. He brings about ten guards, fully armored, clanking away into his bedroom with crossbows and then they decide, decide to fire 5 million bolts through the closed curtains of Caspian's canopied bed. There are so many other more effective and simpler ways to kill someone than to have 23 people just shoot crossbow boats, bolts at them.
1: You know, I thought the same thing. And they also must have reloaded super fast. Cause there was only like 10 of them, but there were like... 30 darts that went through there. So much so that they cut the curtain in half.
0: Listen, I I hunt with a crossbow, all right? I I know how hard it is to pull one of those suckers back. I didn't see one of them, like, gasping for breath and have sweat pouring down their face like happens to me because I'm fat and out of shape, and if I bend over, I can't breathe (laughs) so good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're seasoned professionals. You think after, like, the first five and there was no screaming or yelling or anything? You know, because... As unlike the movies would have you believe, people don't die as soon as they get hit with an arrow. Well, I, I uh, You'd I, think I, they would be like, hmm, maybe there's no one in there. But I disagree.
0: I feel like if you're hit with ten arrows simultaneously, you'll probably die pretty quick. Little does Glazel know, Caspian is no longer sleeping there. No, The young prince made his escape after being awoken by his loyal teacher, Dr. Cornelius. The doctor wakes up the young prince in the middle of the night and ushers him down to the castle grounds. He makes sure that Caspian has his sword and then sets the prince on a horse. Before sending Caspian out of the dangerous castle, Cornelius hands the prince an ivory horn and tells him not to blow on it unless he is desperately in need. Caspian is able to flee the castle, but the guards are in hot pursuit. As he races through the forest, two dwarves appear in the path, spooking his horse. Caspian falls from the saddle, and he is drugged a bit, but he's able to get his ho- foot out of the stirrup. And uh, he has two armored little people on one side, and Glazel and his armed castle guards closing in on the other. And he figures that his need is-, is fairly dire, so he gives the horn a little tootie-toot. And as he blows the horn, one dwarf approaches the guards all of whom are mounted on horseback, and says, I'll take care of this. And then the movie fades to black as the second dwarf knocks Caspian out. And I say, hold on a second, movie. I really want to see how that first dwarf, who is maybe three feet tall and has a butter knife for a sword, plans on taking care of the several mounted guards. His confidence. I thought is... Maybe he has
1: some like magical powers because he's like, ah, oh, no big deal. I'll just run over here and knock these guys out. And then, <laughs> nope, he's just a little guy with a little knife. <laughs> but big courage, but not very smart courage. Listen, if you have big courage, you can do anything.
0: No, you can't.
1: No, you can't. <laughs> I thought it was funny how his professor was like, head for the woods, they'll never follow you there. Then they just follow him right in. And nothing happens.
0: And and how he hands him the horn and says, don't blow this since you are in desperate need. And then four seconds later, he's in desperate need. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, I guess it worked.
0: The sound of Caspian's horn magically carries across dimensions to 1942 London where we see Susan Pevensey outside a train station, waiting for the train to take her and her siblings to boarding school. She's trying to avoid a hormonal second-rate Harry Potter who's trying to get him Susan-loving. Thankfully for Susan, she's rescued from Harry's unwanted advances by Lucy, who rushes to get her sister to help with the situation that has unfolded in the station. And Harry is left crying out to to Susan. Disappointed, but resolute, saying, Oh, Susanna, don't you cry for me, for I come from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: What is that from?
0: Uh, It's an old American folk song. Oh, Susanna, don't you cry for me, for I come from Alabama (laughs) with a banjo on my knee.
1: You and Scott and your country music. That's not a country. <clears throat> that's not like Toby Keith is getting his guitar out and singing "O, oh, Susanna."
0: <laughs> oh, it's like in the same vein as uh,
1: "Home on the Range." It's just an old song. "O, oh, Susanna," sung by James Taylor. What? No,
0: James Taylor may have covered it. He didn't write "O, oh,
1: Susanna." Mm, it's a folk song by Stephen Foster, 1826-1864. to 1864. Like I said, it's real old. But uh, back to the movie.
0: <laughs> Lucy leads Susan to a large crowd of people gathered around a fight that Peter is involved in. And why is Peter fighting? Because there's nothing that hand-to-hand <laughs> combat... <laughs> there's nothing like ancient warfare and hand-to-hand combat to make you really just
1: love getting into a
0: scrap. In
1: order for I feel this... like it's just because he's arrogant because he used to be a king and now he's just a little kid.
0: Well, I understand he's like, that, but after he
1: pushed the king, and he's like, he's just an angsty teenager once again.
0: It's like he, it's like in order for this movie's version of Peter to work, he has to forget anything and everything that he learned being a king of Narnia because this is not the same Peter that you read in the book. I mean, the Peter in the book, yes, he's a little bit arrogant at times, but he is not just a moron bonehead like this Peter that's like, um, you pushed the king, so <laughs> now we're going to fight.
1: <laughs> and uh, after after years of hardened military service, it's kind of sad that he can't take on, what, like two teenagers from the in the underground in London, and yet and be- he can go to Narnia and... To be Quite fair,
0: to be fair, these kids weren't messing around, because at one point in this fight, one of the kids that was fighting Peter hold, gets on top of him and holds his head over the white line of the landing platform as a train is coming. This <laughs> stops being a
1: fight and goes straight towards attempted murder real quick. <laughs> he must have deserved it. But, uh, luckily,
0: Edmund's there, who's, who goes from my least favorite to my favorite character, Just in two movies. Yeah, really. (laughs) Only because Edmund is the only one that's not an idiot. Him and Lucy are the only two good ones. Edmund does hop in to help his brother fight. And uh, thankfully, two guards notice the fight and break it up. After, like, 15 minutes of fighting, these guards who were in the scene at the beginning finally are like, hey, hey, they're trying to murder that kid. They're trying to, (laughs) they're they're clearly trying to get him uh, decapitated by a train. We should probably
1: stop this. there's, like, a horde of screaming, adoring children around, egging on the fight, and they're just now realizing it. But you know what? Most security guards, I suppose, are like that. Aye, uh, you kids? You stop your fighting!
0: You do. <laughs> that's that's my impression of every single British soldier from World War One and Two. I we're gonna go fight some Krauts, we is.
1: <laughs> like the most peasant. London accent ever. Always be fighting for the queen! <laughs> <laughs> Our Belgian listener probably thinks we sound Amazing. uneducated and ridiculous. Oh, well, that's just because we are.
0: Let's get to Narnia. <laughs> it's been 40 minutes. Let's get to Narnia. The four Pevensey kids find a bench to sit on and wait for the train as a moping Peter is all upset because he used to be the high king and now, like a young British Rodney Dangerfield, he just can't get no respect. You're not going to get that joke, Luke, but I promise it was funny. Uh, it, is, okay. it is then that they all get magically pinched on the rear end because magic can be a bit of a pervert sometimes, and the four kids suddenly find themselves on a beautiful sunlit beach. The Pevensies, still fully clothed in their button-down Oxfords and Knit Jumper school uniforms, immediately decide to imbibe in the famed British tradition of a good old-fashioned sweater swim.
1: I wasn't aware of this tradition. It seemed kind of awkward to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sure did. Sure did. Then they look around and realize that they're on the beach that their former palace, Care Paravel, once overlooked. Their former home has been reduced to a ruin since their last visit to Narnia, and the four soggy-sweatered siblings wonder how long they've been away. Back at the Telmarine Castle, Glazel and his men return without Caspian, but not empty-handed. No, they have returned with the dwarf, who said he was going to take care of this.
1: He did not take care of this. (laughs) He got taken care of.
0: But I will say that this dwarf is played by the always enjoyable Peter Dinklage, who I thoroughly enjoy as an actor. Not just because he's a little person, but he's a little person who can actually act. He plays Is this the guy that's
1: in like Game of Thrones and stuff?
0: Yes, he's in Game of Thrones, and you probably know him best for uh being the uh writer, the elf. The writer elf in the movie Elf. If you remember, they call
1: in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't recognize him as being that same guy, though. Well, he had a lot of makeup on. Or did
0: he have a lot of makeup on an elf? And this is how he really looks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Living in a tree, scraggly. Can I just say that the horn, you know, the professor's like, oh, blow this if you're ever in great need. I mean, it, it's going to take a minute to get your help even after you blow this you really should blow it before you think you're really going to need your help because they're sweater swimming instead of helping Caspian. If they really wanted the high King to come back, why didn't the professor just blow the horn and then, you know, give him a little heads up.
0: Also, if I was ever given a magic horn, I said, help will come if you blow on this. And then four pasty white English kids come out and they're like, we hate to rescue you. I'd be like, Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm gonna die. That's it. When <laughs> <laughs> back at the Telmarine Castle, Glizel and his men returned without Caspian, but not empty-handed. They returned with the dwarf who did not take care of this, Peter Dinklage himself, in custody. In the council room, before Moraz gets there, some of the nobles are seated, waiting for the Lord Protector to arrive. Lord Sus- Lord Sospespian... That's such a dumb name. <laughs> Lord Sopespian is taking a moment to voice his opinion that Miraz is an untrustworthy cur. But before any of the other councilmen can reply, Moraz walks in apologizing for his tardiness. And he tells his councilmen, Lords Sisley, Donin, and Spespian are informed that Moraz's nephew Caspian had been kidnapped by Narnians. And this all happened on the night that Miraz Jr. was born. He then offers proof of the kidnapping, a bound in gag dwarf, because nothing says, hey, my nephew's been kidnapping, or my nephew's been kidnapped, and here's a little person.
1: <laughs> that's that's how you prove anything. If I had Yeah, if I had an elaborate story that seemed unbelievable, but I had a little person captive who looked like he had lived in the woods, strapped to the back of my horse. I feel like it would make anything more believable.
0: So yeah, he offers proof of the kidnapping, a bound and gagged dwarf, and Mraz just starts slapping him around a bit for really no no good reason. I mean, we get it, movie. Moraz is a bad guy. Leave little Dink Dink alone. <laughs> he then does a whole spiel, Mraz does, where he charges the Narnians, who up to this moment, Moraz. Had always said were completely extinct, with plotting to overthrow the Narnian kingdom. Hey, you know those people that have always denied living? Yeah, they're the ones that stole my stole my nephew. What? That's like me saying a Pegasus came down and and stole my son. Hey guys, Bigfoot came well, and took my kid away.
1: Yeah, but if you had a Bigfoot tied to the back of your oh, horse, I got a Bigfoot. He, he's got he's got a specimen of what was once believed to be mythical. So if you're gonna come up with a wild explanation for the oh so convenient situation that his nephew disappeared on the night of his son's birth, like you need something a little bit magical and okay. he's got it.
0: Fine. Point taken. The movie is logical. My bad. <laughs> Miraz then posits that the Narnians have been secretly breeding. And building an, an army just waiting to strike at the Telmarines. Then the lying Mraz promises that he will find Caspian even if he has to cut down every tree in the land. Okay. At I'm Par- maniacal. Yeah, I'm going to do some forestry. Dun dun dun. <laughs> At Care Paravel Edmund, who apparently freelances as an archaeological forensic investigator, looks around at the crumbled walls and declares that he sees signs of artillery barrage. Which is real dumb. Real dumb. Real dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Can Can you imagine going to, like, an old, run-down house and looking around going, Huh, there's gunshots here.
1: How can you tell? There's no walls left. He has military expertise from I mean, his past life. He did live through the Brick Blitzkrieg, to be fair. If anyone
0: knows what an artillery blown-up <laughs> building was, it was a kid in London in the 1940s. Yes, yeah, so shut your mouth. Detective Edmund says that, according to his evidence, Narnia was clearly invaded a while ago. And I said, that's a lot of information you got from a couple ruins there, Ed, but whatever, Detective Exposition, <laughs> moving on. Then the children are able to find their old treasure room, which has been, amazingly undis- or has been amazingly undisturbed for centuries. In the trunk, they find their royal garments, which I have to imagine smelled just terrible. But they put them on anyways. How many years has it been, did they say? 1,300 years, according to the Narnian oh. timeline.
1: That was well preserved then.
0: That's like finding George Washington's coat. And then immediately putting it on. No, it's not. Because George Washington,
1: Times. <laughs> George Washington was. Let you know, listener. Zach knows nothing about history. America, thirteen hundred years old.
0: That means at the time of the Crusades. George Washington was fighting the British. <laughs> Just saying, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. They also find their weapons that they were given before the first battle of Baruna. Peter finds his lion-crested shield and sword. Lucy finds her dagger and a flask of magic
1: liquid that can heal any wound. Can I just make a point? Can I make a point about this liquid? So, she was... Look at the wisdom here of not pouring it all down Edmund's throat when he was dying, as I pointed out in the last... I'm not saying that she... I'm not saying
0: that you give Edmund the whole flask... But all she did was give him like the that's tiny. A, that's like me whenever I'm drinking a pop or a Mountain Dew or something. Joseph comes over, he's like, "Daddy, drink!" You know, I, I dip my finger in it and just put a little bit on his tongue and tell him to go away.
1: <laughs> that's not. That's not at all a fair comparison of this liquid. Mountain Dew doesn't save people's lives. You tell that. Like you Joseph tell
0: that to Tennessee. If
1: <laughs> what I don't know. <laughs> so she only gives out drops which is wise because there's lots of people that need saving over a 1300 year period and uh she, had she wasn't wasted there it all to on save i mean you i was kind of even... hoping edmund would die in the last movie anyway but now so, i'm kind of glad he you know, didn't because she... he redeems himself a little bit in this movie yeah he's way better in this movie but, uh... but i just wanted to point that out because that's the classic movie blunder it's like oh i'll just dump all my magic potion on you it's like No, why don't you save some for later? It's still effective, even with a drop. Right.
0: Uh, So, Lucy finds her dagger and flask of magic liquid that can heal any wound. Susan finds her bow and a quiver of arrows, and Edmund finds out that he had a heart all along. The one thing that is notably missing is Susan's horn, but they don't worry about that. And then Lucy is suddenly saddened when she realizes that all of her Narnian friends are now dead. But Peter says... We don't have time for your feelings. We're the Narnian Junior Detective Agency, and we need to find out what's going on here. It does kind of turn into an episode of Scooby Doo for a minute, because they get like all they get all like ready to go, and they're like, "Shut up, Lucy! Don't cry for your dead friends. We need to figure out what's going on here." And then in the background, you just hear, "I love you, Raggy." <laughs> um, that was pretty good. So the Narnian Junior Detective Agency uh don't have to look long for their first clue. Susan sees a small rowboat being rowed by two Telmarine soldiers who are about to toss Peter Dinklage overboard. But Susan says, drop him. And then, like the Joker, they're like, <laughs> very poor choice of words, as they just drop him into the <laughs> into the river. <laughs> they're like, Yeah, that's literally what we're we're doing. Calm down there. And uh, so they drop old Dinklage into the ocean as Susan, who was known in the past movie for being gentle and not wanting to take a life, just straight up murders the soldier with a well-placed shot. And the second soldier just takes off running as Peter rescues the dwarf from drowning.
1: There was a lot more killing in this show than I thought. Like, I thought, you know, it's supposed to be like kind of a a kid's show. Now, the dwarf, whose real name is Trumpkin is an angry elf for a minute
0: until the Pevensies are able to prove they're the legendary kings and queens of yore. And how did they prove that, you ask? Simple. I have an Edmund and Trumpkin sword fight. Duh. How'd you not guess that? That's how you prove anything. You just fight people's swords. <laughs> and uh, Edmund is able to disarm Trumpkin And he's like, well, the only way you could have done that as if you're these old kings and queens. <laughs> now keep in mind a oh, real man, I disarmed a dwarf. Trumpkin has been in two sword fights so far in this movie, and he's lost both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but only a king can disarm him. So that also means that Gazelle or Grizel and all of his, his soldiers and Trumpkin's mind are kings too. Because only kings can can disarm Trumpkin. But Trumpkin immediately believes that they're these kings and queens and said, oh, Of course you're here. Caspian's horn must have called you from, from Earth to Narnia. And the Pevensies are like, oh, if you That's, saw
1: that's kids, what happened. If you, saw, if you saw four kids that were that pasty and that out of place, maybe you would believe it too.
0: Hey, hey, did you guys just go for a sweater swim? How can you tell? You just look like the kind of people that swim in sweaters. Well, where we come from, we call those Mormons. I feel like Mormons would swim in sweaters. Yeah, they would. Heavenly Father doesn't want me to be disrobed, so I shall put my sweater on (gasps) before I jump into this pool. (laughs) Yeah, Trumpkin's like, hey, Caspian's horn. That that horn must have called you. That's why you're here. They're like, oh, so it was Caspian's horn that pinched our bums and carried us away magically. (sighs) Caspian wakes up from his forced nap deep in the woods and overhears a black-haired dwarf named Nickabrick and a talking badger named Truffle Hunter arguing about what to do with him. Caspian immediately tries to fight Nickabrick because it worked out so well for him the first time. And uh, to be fair, Nickabrick does want to kill Caspian simply for being a Telmarine, Marine, but Truffle Hunter just tells everybody to, to calm down. And he goes up to Caspian, he's like, Hey there, who the heck are you? And Caspian tells Truffle Hunter, stupid name by the way, uh, uh, that he's running away from his usurper uncle. And Truffle Hunter's like, well, ain't that nifty, don't you know? But Nickabrick is just not impressed with what's going on. And as Caspian gets up to leave, Truffle Hunter sees the horn and says, hey there, that's Susan's horn there, don't you know? And so they're like, clearly, this dude's good, because this horn, where in this world that doesn't have pictures or anything, just drawings, that's clearly the horn of Susan. So Trouble Hunter's like, well, we clearly gotta trust you now, because you got the Susan horn. Well, what do you know about that? At the castle, Miraz angrily confronts Cornelius with a bright red arrow, recovered from the body of one of his soldiers. And asks about the horn that Caspian blew in his escape. First of all, bad move, Susan. Why are all your arrows so easily identifiable? I don't know. I'm not an archer, but if I was, I probably would use arrows that everybody uses, not just bright red ones that anytime somebody shoots, it goes. That's a weird arrow, right there. <laughs> that is clearly. Yeah, you need to
1: know who. You need to know who got you.
0: The doctor, Doctor Cornelius, tells Moraz. That uh the horn is something that the Narnians believed could summon the four kings and queens. And Miraz is not happy with Cornelius's actions or explanation. And he orders the doctor to be placed under arrest. And why this has happened? Lord Suspaspian whispers about betraying Miraz uh with Glazelle. They're in the room with him, and they're just like, hey, you want to betray this guy? Well, well wait, oh, he's coming back. Shh be quiet. Uh <laughs> However, before the commander can even think about mutiny, Glazel is told to rally the troops at Baruna, where Sospatian's army is busy building a bridge over the great river that borders that land. The desperate Miraz states, We must find Caspian before they do. Referring to the Narnians, who remember weren't supposed to exist a few days ago. Tromkin and the four children row up Wit River from Ker Paravel as the dwarf tells them that Narnia has lost some of its magic. For example, the trees never talk anymore. Aslan hasn't been seen since the four children left the land, and many of the talking beasts of Narnia don't know how to talk anymore. And just to highlight this point, a hungry bear comes out and tries to nom on Lucy, but Drumkin's quick to per- put that beast down. Back in the woods, Caspian, Nickabrick, and Truffle Hunter set out to rally the hidden Narnians. But as they begin their hunt, Truffle Hunter smells out a Telmarine search party, and the three run for safety. Before the Telmarines are able to find Caspian, they are killed themselves by a creature that is too small to see, but deals death blows from below. This fearsome and deadly beast pops out of the ferns that cover the forest ground and knocks Caspian over after dispatching those soldiers, and he draws a tiny little sword and shouts, Choose your last words carefully, Telmarine. Turns out the beast is a mouse, by the name of Reepachip, Cheep. Because of course he is. I mean, think of a better name for a mouse than Reepachip. Cheep. You're not going to be able to. I've tried. <gasps> Reepachip, Cheep. Who- Cheese Hunter? Nope, that's not as good as Re- Reepa Cheep. I'm sorry. Reepachip's Cheep's the best name for a mouse
1: ever. Can I just say about this bear? You know, Susan is about to let this bear nom nom on Lucy. Yeah. Like, it's about to get eaten. She's like, I'm not going to shoot it because I'm, I'm in PETA and I love animals. She shot that soldier though in like three seconds. Yeah, for no reason. So for, for, clearly, she cares for more like about. she didn't even know who he was. Right, and she Trump, didn't even know if the even if, if the she, dwarf who was being thrown into the water was like a serial killer and deserved right, to die. And even
0: if she did bear, know Trumpkin who was about
1: to eat her sister,
0: even if she did know Trumpkin, you have to admit Trumpkin's like half the person that Lucy is. <laughs>
1: Well, they're actually about the same size. But, uh, yeah, no, she's like, doesn't know who this guy is, shoots this soldier out of nowhere. This bear's going to eat her sister. She's like, I can't do it.
0: No, no, I can't do it. Remember, she remembered, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a pacifist. So, yeah, we got Reep-a-Chief, who's like anti establishment, anti telmarine marine, and he just wants to kill Caspian just for the fun of it. But Truffle Hunter tells him to chill because Caspian was the cool cat, who blew the horn. And Re- Reepa Cheep's like, I, right, I get it. I'm not going to murder you now. Give me some cheese. Suddenly, a party of centaurs arrive, because of course they do. And why did they arrive? Because they heard the horn. Everybody's hearing this horn. Everyone. Everyone's hearing the horn out here. In another part of the forest, Peter insists on leading the party along a pathway that Trumpkin insists is a dead end. But Peter's the High King, and he knows better than everybody else, and he's acting all high and mighty, not learning anything from his last visit. And he's looking for a bridge that crosses a river that no longer exists. They've been gone for 1,300 years, and the bridge that he's looking that crosses this river is now a huge canyon. Suddenly, Lucy looks across the gorge and spots Aslan, the great and powerful lion of Narnia. But no one else is able to see Aslan except Lucy, so they all tell her shut up and stop being stupid. With one exception, Edmund, who's inclined to accept anything that Lucy says because, well, the last time he didn't believe in Lucy, he ended up looking pretty stupid. And everyone's like, shush, we all didn't believe Lucy, and we're not going to believe Lucy now! <laughs> and in this movie, Susan and Peter just turn into the biggest morons. It doesn't... To be... F- <laughs> To be fair, in the, <laughs> this happens in the book. Lucy sees Aslan across the gorge and says that, but Peter's like, no, we're going to go down here. And then uh, they can't cross because there's some Telmarines, and then they come back. And then everyone sees Aslan except for Edmund. Everyone can see Aslan except for Edmund when they come back, and then Aslan is with them for the rest of the movie or the rest of the book. There's no secret Aslan hunt. Aslan's just there.
1: I feel like Peter's assumption was a little bit misguided. Maybe. Uh, no. No. Misguided by his pride. That's no. what pride does to you. Makes you believe Bridges last 1,300 years.
0: <laughs> that night, a group of groping Narnians get together to figure out whether or not Caspian is cool. Their options are apparently we accept Caspian or as a friend. Or we kill him. There is no middle ground in Narnia. Nicobrick right is adamant that they just straight up kill him. However, the reformed Reepicheep cannot accept the dwarves' opinion because Nicobrick's people or infamously that's the word because Nicobrick's people infamously fought under the command of the ancient white queen. And Nicobrick is like, listen here, Reepicheep. I would happily... Serve under her again, then be ruled by this little Telmarine. And at this trouble hunter tells Nickrick to chill. He's like, calm down. The white witch is dead, and everybody should be thankful for that. And then the badger asked the dwarf if he would still refuse to support Caspian, if that meant going against Aslan. And then Nickabrick goes, I don't deal in hypotheticals. He doesn't, he should have, but he doesn't. He's just like, no, of course not. Aslan's my boy. No one questions, well, then hold on a second. You just said you wanted to serve the White Queen, who is very clearly anti-Aslan. So why are you now just, like, switching that up there, Nikki? In the end, Caspian wins their favor by pointing out that he's the rightful king. He's not, because remember, the Telmarines conquered. Narnia, 1,300 years ago. He's not the rightful king. But he's like, guys, chill out, I'm supposed to be king. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, got it. Never mind, we're good. Caspian's our king, guys. (laughs) At this point, the lead centaur, Glennstrom, tells the assembly that he read the stars. And he's convinced that the time is right for such an alliance as Caspian offers. And everyone agrees that what Glennstrom says was really dumb. And they say, calm down, hippie. But in the end, Truffle Hunter, the Centaurs, and Reepicheep, along with his mice underlings, agree to support him. On top of that, Caspian gains the trust of the Minotaurs and the other Narnian creatures, and he just becomes their leader. I don't get this. He's supposed to be a young man. It's like a teenager coming up to you, Luke, and Guam being like, hey, I'm supposed to be Queen, King of Guam. I'm 12, but I'm supposed to be
1: King of Guam. And you're like, I know you are. Hey, hey, guys, guys, this is King of Guam. We're going to do whatever he says. But if there was a long foretold prophecy inscribed on a piece of coral carried on the back of a turtle that told me of the kingship of a boy king, and this guy came along, I might be like, you're the guy. I looked at the stars. I'd be, able to, I'd be able to believe it because the deep magic was behind him.
0: I looked at the stars and I thought, huh, there's a lot of stars. But then I thought, yeah, Caspian should be king. The Pethensies and Trumpkin make it to the fort of Baruna, and they discover that Sospaspian and Glazel's men are there building a bridge, as well as massive catapults that are capable of hurling massive boulders. Massively. Susan, who should have the royal name Queen Susan the Obvious, is like, guys, I don't think we should try to cross the river right here. Thanks for that, Susan. What tipped you off? Was it the soldiers or the giant catapults? The five then return to the spot where Lucy saw Aslan and ask her to tell them exactly where she thought she saw him. And Lucy is like, first of all, I'll cut you if you don't start talking to me with some respect. And then we don't hear Lucy's second off because she just falls through some moss. Everyone's horrified for a moment. Pretty sure that their little sister just committed unintentional suicide. But it turns out that Lucy just fell off or fell onto a ledge, which led to a path that the group could use to cross the canyon and get to the other side. That night, Susan awakes Lucy to ask her why uh, she, Susan of all people, couldn't see Aslan when Lucy can. She's like, hey, Lucy, how come you can see Aslan? I'm Susan. I'm Susan. They wish be seen as It's Susan and Lucy's like. Susan's become an unbeliever, faithless, mm-hmm. hopeless. Yeah. Well, Lucy's like I don't know. Maybe because you're a bossy, Bowdaggot. And then Lu- Susan tells her younger sister that she finally gotten used to the idea of living in England. Is pretty upset to be back in Narnia because she knows it's not going to last forever. Then Lucy's like, "Well, Dud, that's why you can't see it. You lost faith. You got comfortable on Earth, and you lost
1: faith. It's probably because it's probably because she lied." to that kid you know she i don't think we covered it but you know that that um, yeah she told harry potter second-rate harry potter she told him that her name she was trying to get away from from him and his advances so she told her he told him that her name was uh what phyllis
0: and everyone knows that nobody wants to date someone named phyllis
1: that's the truth and no one wants to date a liar and people that lie can't see god so That's why. Right. Right now I... That's my
0: theory. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so like, I can't see... I I just don't want to be here no more because it's not going to last forever. And then Lucy's like, yeah, that's cool. And then falls asleep. And then in what is quite possibly but maybe not a dream, Lucy sees a dryad or a tree person and Aslan telling her that things never happen the same way twice. Then a snapping twig catches Lucy's attention and she awakes to see both... Aslan and the dryad gone. And the young queen's like, I gotta find Aslan. And then Peter follows her as Lucy walks away and stops her right before she's about to run straight into an armed enemy minotaur. Now, the last time Peter saw a minotaur, he was fighting him. So he is understandably suspicious. But before he can decide whether or not to attack the beast, the High King is attacked by a young man. Yep, it's our boy Caspian. And the two are about to go all stabby-stabby on each other when Lucy shouts at them to stop. Because Lucy's not a headstrong dingus, and she was able to look around and see that the young man was in the company of fauns and satyrs and all sorts of other good Narnians. Now, the Pevensies are surprised to be suddenly face-to-face with so many talking creatures again when they haven't seen any. But what's even more surprising is that they see minotaurs and wolves fighting beside badgers and centaurs. Remember, they were fighting in the last movie, but now they're friends. (sighs) A thousand years ago, these beings were mortal enemies. They came together under Caspian's banner. Another surprise comes from the form of talking mice. While there were mice during their days in Narnia a thousand years ago... After all, it was mice that freed Aslan's corpse from his bond after the White Queen killed him atop the stone table. They certainly did not talk. As a matter of fact, because they did that service for Aslan, Aslan gave the mice the ability to speak as a reward. That you didn't know that piece, Trivia. Or maybe you watched the movie. Didn't know that. Now, Peter quickly realizes he was about to fight Caspian and this exiled prince that Trumpkin was taking them to meet. Now, in the books, or, or Luke, in the books, here's what happens. The Pevensies arrive at Paravel. They rescue Trumpkin. They argue about whether or not they can cross the canyon. They see troops, and then go, oh, we can't go that way, and they turn around. Then they run into Aslan, who shows them the way through the canyon. Then they go to the stone table where Aslan introduces them to Caspian. Caspian immediately knows that everyone's the high prince. And then they start planning. This makes a whole lot of more sense than these two people just running into
1: each other by accident in the middle of the woods. This must have been like a um they just needed some more runtime. I, I guarantee that's what it is.
0: Lord of the Rings was 13 th- hours long. We can't make a fantasy movie that's shorter than two hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I felt was the downfall of this movie.
0: Soon, Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy, Caspian, Trufflehunter, the Badger, Glinstrom, the Centaur, and Reepicheep the Mouse all sit down and become the first War Council for Caspian. It's a lot of people. Well done. They begin to plan an attack against Miraz, but the first thing they decide is to make their stronghold at the location where Aslan was killed and then resurrected. The broken stone table has been or had been entombed over the past a thousand years. Uh, as a sort of monument to the lion and the four rulers uh since the Pevensies left Narnia. And the massive construction was also renamed. It was now known don't call me ask me why, but it's now called Aslan's How.
1: Why? Huh? How do you define how do you spell how? HOW? Interesting.
0: Maybe it's how Aslan defeated the witch. Maybe. Maybe in other places of Narnia, there's Aslan's who, Aslan's what, Aslan's when, Aslan's where, and this one just so happened to be Aslan's how.
1: Yeah, let's go with that.
0: That's what I like. At the Baruna Bridge construction site, an irate Miraz is questioning Glazel after an unknown raiding party stole enough weapons and armor to outfit the two or outfit two regiments. We learn that this raiding party was actually Reepicheep and his mice. Their only clue to who did this was a carved message on the rear door of a cart which read you were right to fear the woods. And Moraz becomes even more enraged when Glazel tells the regiment that no one died in the raid. He demands that Glazel reports that 3 men were killed by savage Narnians in order to stir up some Telmarine patriotism. Moraz then noticed that the carved note was signed X as in the Roman numeral for ten, as in Caspian the Tenth. And he decides that this is all the proof that he needs in order to say that Caspian betrayed the Telmarines and sided with the Narnians. The evil uncle takes the opportunity to announce that Narnia is in need of a new king. Caspian, Peter, and the rest make it to Aslan's How, and the Pevensies begin exploring the structure. Lucy and Susan are amazed to see the broken stone table that Aslan destroyed when he resurrected. And along the walls are what can only be described as cave drawings. I don't know why they're there. Did Neanderthals move in afterwards and do the artwork? Not sure. (laughs)
1: But it's pretty dumb. Everybody's living in trees and rocks, and so they painted Tumnus' face right across it.
0: It's so so dumb, because behind the table is this beautifully, intricately carved stone bust of Aslan. Like, masterfully artwork. And then on the walls, it looks like a four-year-old took a crayon
1: and scribbled some pictures. Well, you know, everyone has their job in the kingdom. Not all of us can be great artists. We'll just left. He spent all his time doing Aslan's photo, they and then they sent the, just let that The sills over to.
0: Just let that mentally challenged bear draw on the wall.
1: Maybe, <laughs> maybe as a kid who drew it. Maybe he's working on becoming an art, Narnian an artist.
0: But anyways, these pictures show the four rulers and Aslan side by side. You know, maybe it should remind uh, uh, remind them that they're only really powerful and good when they're working with Aslan, but Peter looks at this and goes, nah, that's not what this means. This means we're on our own. Hold on a second, Peter. How'd you get there, bud? That is a huge leap. Not sure how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, I know what this means. These pictures of us beside Aslan, means Aslan's not coming back. <laughs> what? <laughs> Peter then learns that Aslan's howl had been or has been compromised, discovered by a Telmarine scout. So the High King comes up with a plan that is not in the book, and that is why it's incredibly dumb. They're going to attack the Telmarine castle, even though their armies are smaller, and Telmarine's castle has never been successfully captured, which is what Caspian tells Peter. And Peter's like, hey, shut up. I'm a High King. I haven't been here for 1300 years, but shut up. I don't know what's going on, but shush. Okay, I almost was murdered in a subway this morning, but now you're going to listen to me because I'm clearly an expert fighter. (laughs) Like I said, if the movie followed the book, it would be over by now. About an hour, 45 minutes. I would have appreciated that. But an hour, 45-minute movie that was succinct and told a good story just wasn't enough. They had to tack on this stupid subplot that does nothing but further my contempt for Peter. Hmm... Now, Caspian suggests a smarter plan. They're like, hey, why don't we just stay here at Aslan's house? This place is like a fortress. It's pretty pretty rock solid. But Peter's like, hey, I'm the high king. I'm better than you. And I think we should do what I think because I'm the one who thought it. Well, I can't argue with that reasoning, everyone says. Let's do what Peter says. And Lucy pipes up, being the voice of reason, and says, hey, guys, uh, you know how I saw Aslan, this godlike lion that, that can do amazing things? You know how I saw him? Maybe we should go look for him. Shush, Lucy. Grown-ups are talking. Yeah, we're going to go attack this castle. Well, as can be expected, the raid on the castle was a disaster. During the fight, Caspian was able to rescue his professor from the castle's dungeon, but wastes time when he finds himself confronting Moraz over the death of his father. Moraz admits that he has a role in killing Caspian the Ninth. Or had a role in killing Caspian the Ninth, which is going Caspian's right there, with Miraz at the end of his sword. He could have ended the war there, saved countless lives. But instead, he just wastes time. He piddle farts around. Now he's supposed to be in the process of securing the castle's gate, so the Narnians have enough time to retreat. But but because he's he's too busy talking with his uncle. The gates fall after only half of the raiding party is able to get through. And so half of the Narnians are just stuck in the castle's courtyard. And they're all just murdered by crossbow bolts. And it's incredibly brutal.
1: That is pretty sad. I thought Peter was going to turn around and do something, but uh, nope. Of course not. He's Peter. He's an idiot. Caspian (laughs) Caspian and Peter return home and
0: begin fighting over who's to blame for the loss. And they would have killed one another if Edmund had not intervened. Let me say that again. Edmund is the voice of reason in this movie. Edmund, the one who joined the White Queen in the last movie and betrayed his brothers and sisters, is the only one, besides Lucy, who remembered, hey, I was a jerk before I came to Narnia the first time. I should learn some lessons and apply those to my life going forward. Meanwhile, Lucy is using her magic flask to heal the wounded that were hurt during the raid, and notably, she saves Trumpkin's life by healing him as he was on death's door. Miraz then crowns himself king and accepts multiple troop pledges from the various feudal lords of the Telmarines of Baruna. And it's at this point that Nicabric goes up to the downtrodden Caspian and says, Hey, Cassie. Cast baby, I got an idea. Everybody's talking about Aslan when well, he's not around. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we look at another ancient power, one that kept Aslan at bay or Aslan at bay for over a hundred years? I want you to talk to my friend. He's a werewolf, and look at his girl. She's a hag. <laughs>
1: there was ever one.
0: No. A hag with a beak. No, she's literally... And a, not like a big nose. But she's got a beak. That's the name of the creature. She's a hag. I'm not being mean. She's literally a hag.
1: <laughs> well, she is that both in name and in description. And
0: the hag's like, hey, Caspian, we think... Hear me out here. We think it'd be super cool if we brought back the White Witch. Remember? Remember those stories about how she turned the whole land into winter? Yeah, let's bring her back.
1: Well, would you rather have eternal winter or die at the hands of Miraz?
0: I'm pretty sure that Miraz is like... Miraz is like a wart. He's unseemly. He might be uncomfortable, but you can live with it. I would rather take death than have Tilda Swinton's creepy flesh-colored eyebrows staring at me for any period of
1: time. Aw, I mean... Maybe you guys could get married. I don't want to marry Tilda Swinton. Reconcile your differences. I went Tilda Swinton. Yeah, but what if it was your only choice? What if? What if someone was like, okay, in order to save—imagine you weren't married—in order to save you and your friends uh, from the evil wrath of Moraz, you have to marry Tilda Swinton. Would you do it to save your friends? If Scott, if Scott was about to have his head lopped off by. Moraz, And they were like, marry Matilda Swinton or all, else there is, Scott's
0: head. I can't think of a better talking point or piece of furniture I could possibly have than Scott's head mounted on my office wall. I'd just take his head and take <sighs> it to a
1: taxidermist. Have him smiling. Two missing <laughs> teeth. Just. I'm telling Scott that you wouldn't marry Matilda Swenton to save his life. That's fine. I'll tell him too. Tell him next week.
0: So the Hag's like, listen, Moraz isn't a match against the the White Queen And Caspian isn't moron, so he doesn't say anything this whole time he's just like oh, okay. And the hag proceeds to draw a circle with one of her fingernails and she draws out the broken scepter of the white queen while chanting some mantra that just is awful and she raises her voice, and she plants the scepter on the edge of the circle, and this big old ice cube appears. (laughs) And inside the ice cube, it's none other than Jadis, the ancient and long-dead white queen and the original owner of the scepter, which once had the power to petrify any object or creature it touched before Edmund broke it when he was fighting the witch. (laughs) And all...
1: Yeah, how'd they repair that thing? Magic. Well, I guess 1,300 years. You You can do some work.
0: And all it would take to free Jadis from the ice cube, as Jadis says, is one drop of Adam's blood, and you free me, and then I am yours, my king. She says this with all the seductiveness she can muster, but she's Tilda Swinton, so she can't muster much.
1: She apparently was mustering something because both those guys were entranced by her attractive iciness.
0: She's like, hey, I'll become yours. If I was there, I'd be like, can I take you back? Can I exchange you for store credit? Can I get a different evil being? Is Satan available? Can we get Satan himself here? (laughs) And then Nickbrick and the werewolf lay hold of Caspian, and the hag slashes his left palm in order to get his blood. Now this is in the book, one drop oh it is yeah, this happens like before before Peter actually meets Caspian, they're like waiting in the wings. And they overhear Nickabrick and this hag and this werewolf talking to Caspian about bringing the white w- witch back. She doesn't do this whole ceremony and Jadis doesn't show up. They immediately just walk in and Peter just kills everyone that was talking about the white witch. He's like, hi, I'm Peter. How you doing? Yeah, those guys had a bad idea. <laughs> let's move on. They are killed five seconds after suggesting that in the book. I'm not joking. They're like, hey, let's bring the white... <laughs> Gone. We're not talking about that. So he's he's has a bloody hand. And then Peter, Lucy, Edmund, and Trumpkin arrive and fight with Nickabrick and the werewolf and the hag. And Nickabrick almost kills Lucy before Trumpkin kills him. And Edmund does the best of all because he draws the werewolf away and kills it with a single slash. And then Peter shoves Caspian aside and confronts Jadis. Which was a mistake because Peter in this movie is an idiot. And Jadis is like, hey... I'm Jadis. I don't have no eyebrows. Ain't I sexy? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah. But before Peter can succumb to her charms himself, the ice cube cracks and then shatters, and Edmund stabbed the cube with his sword. And I'm like, Edmund,
1: I like you. I like you now, Ed. Good job. <laughs> and Edmund waits. He's like, I tasted that Turkish delight, and I ain't about to have some more.
0: I don't want none of your Turkish delight. (laughs) And then Edmund waits for a few seconds, waiting for Peter to thank him. A thing that Peter has never made a habit of doing. And then finally gives up, saying, I know you had it all handled. Which, of course, this is the second time Edmund has rescued Peter from almost certain death at the witch's hand. After realizing that he almost got with Jadis, Peter realizes how big of a dink he's been. And he finally accepts Lucy's insistent that she can recognize Aslan and find him again. He complains that Aslan ought to have offered him proof, and Lucy suggests that perhaps Aslan is waiting for the Pevensies to prove themselves to him. Caspian, for his part, has a heart-to-heart talk with Cornelius, who tells him that he always looked for Caspian to be the most noble contradiction, the Telmarine who saved Narnia. Moraz's troops cross the now-completed bridge over the Great River and into Baruna and arrive at the HAL. How did they do this? I don't know, but they did. <laughs> They're at the HAL, hundreds of them, with four trebuchets. And now Peter announces his next plan to send Susan and Lucy to ride deep into the woods to find Aslan, because only Aslan can help them now. Caspian then advises Peter that Moraz has one more weakness. As king, he must satisfy the traditions and expectations of his people. One of them is deciding a battle by single combat. That might buy them some time. So Edmund is sent, dressed in his royal armor, and he walks right up to Moraz's camp and is like, Hey, my brother Pete wants to beat you up, Moraz." And Moraz is like, no, I'm not going to do that. I clearly have more people than you. And then Moraz's lord's like, yeah, no one's going to say he's a coward if he doesn't fight you. Why would you... <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, why would you even bring that up? Moraz? listen, no one's going to think that you're a big sissy for not fighting this kid. Why? No one's saying that. You're right. You're right. No one's going to say that Moraz backed down from a challenge. From a little boy. <laughs>
1: this is actually one of it's one of my favorite scenes.
0: It is in a the good movie. It's a good scene. And so Mraz does exactly what Lord Sospessian. I know I've said his name 47 different ways, and each of them have been wrong, but I do not care at this time. Uh, he does exactly what Sospespian wants. He wants Mraz to fight in a duel. And that's what Maraz does. Susan and Lucy leave Aslan's how? Astride Caspian's faithful war horse. Caspian offers to give Susan back her ivory horn, but Susan declines, saying very awkwardly, You might need to call me again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that was a terrible line. And it's this deck. And it's, I, it's, I, it's, it's presented as well as Zach presented it right there. That's as good as it is.
0: But I will say that Lucy saves the scene. Because as they're riding away, Lucy asks Susan, Really? You might want to call me again? <laughs> when Susan goes, Shut up, Lucy. Then she just murders her sister.
1: <gasps> She's like,
0: Shut up, Lucy. I do not have the time nor the inclination to explain something as terrible romance and no chemistry to a little girl like you.
1: There is no, that's the truth. There is zero chemistry.
0: <clears throat> As Peter and Moraz engage into some one-on-one combat in some ruins outside the Howl, Susan and Lucy ride a little ways into the woods. But some Telmarines chase after him. And Susie's like, Hey, I got this. And then Trumpkin pops down of a tree going, Hey, last time I said that didn't work out very well for me. And then he runs away. Um, <laughs> and then she pulls out her bow and arrow. Susan, known for her gentle spirit her her unwillingness to take life, point-blank range, shoots a soldier directly in the chest, grabs that arrow, rips it out of his chest, and then throws it like a throwing knife into the chest of another soldier. She turns into John Wick, just killing people left and right. Was this written before or after Lord of the Rings? So this came out in 52. And then the Lord of the Rings came out two years afterwards. So Susan's murdering Talmarine's left and right. And then Caspian shows up and is like, hey, what's up, boo? Mind if I kill these people with you? She's like, oh, Caspian, I think you're so great. Thanks. Let's kill him. And then he brings Susan back to the howl. Peter and Mraz have the worst sword fight I've ever seen in my life because Peter keeps making noises that make me (laughs) really uncomfortable. (laughs) he is the loudest worst sword fighter I've ever heard he's like "Ah, ah, ah." every time he takes a swing he has to say something and what's worse is like halfway through the fight Peter's like hey time out five minutes I need five minutes come on just give me a break I'm like you're in a fight (laughs) to the death dude
1: yeah I was like what like a respite I need some respite they're
0: both like out of breath and wounded they're like hey Let's go back to our corners for just a second, alright? <laughs> Let's get ourselves together, then we'll come back to kill each other. Peter takes a little, little time out, a little break. Uh, his arm is out of socket, which Edmund, very kindly, uh, just pops that thing right back in place for him. He's just like, got it. And uh, Peter and Edmund have a have a nice heart-to-heart. Where Peter's like, hey man, I'm sorry for being such a turd. And Edmund's like, yeah, I was thinking about flushing you. And he's like, haha. I like that because you kept going on with my turd allegory. He's like, I don't think that's the right use of the word allegory. He was like, nah, listen, I'm not a botanist. I don't know words. And then Edmund's like, it's cool. I am an archaeological forensic scientist and I know words. It's a direct quote from the movie. They're fighting again after this break. And Moraz tells Suspespian to uh, intervene, you know, give Moraz an edge. But Suspespian says, I ain't doing that. Now, he's not doing it for honorable reasons. He wants Maraz to die, because wants his stupid name to be king. So everybody in Narnia will have to learn how to say the name Suspespian, which is the worst name to try to say. And so the two kings clash once again, and Peter finally defeats Mraz. But instead of killing him outright, Peter hands his sword over to Caspian, saying, hey, bud, did you want to kill this guy? Like he was handing him a, a chocolate are that he wasn't able to finish like hey you want the second half of this
1: snickers? But we're
0: talking about murder and a man's life here.
1: <laughs> murder and a man's life. So Caspian's like, you know that was every, everyday business when you're the king, killing people, running them through his swords.
0: And then Caspian for the second time spares Baraz's life as long as Baraz gives Caspian the kingship. And Caspian's a, a little it's a little guppy, so he's like, right, I'll do that. But then Susbespian kills Moraz using one of Susan's red arrows. He probably he might have got that from Dr. Cornelius' library after Moraz confronted him with it. Or maybe it was just one of the hundreds mm. of arrows that Susan shot murdering so many people that day. Who knows? <laughs>
1: Second option.
0: And then Susbespian cries treachery. They stab the king in the back, and this causes the Telmarines to launch a full-scale assault on the HAL. Glazel orders a cavalry charge, while the artillerymen start a continuous barrage with their catapults. The Narnian forces manage to delay the Telmarines by tunneling under the ground of their horses' hooves and getting them stuck, and then also having a contingent of of archers under Susan's command because her body count just ain't high enough yet to shoot just volleys of arrows onto the enemy cavalry when they fall into a sinkhole. So they dig a pit and then murder a bunch of people that are stuck in a pit. These are
1: the heroes. Honorable. (laughs) (laughs) Like Joseph's brothers. So yeah,
0: Caspian and Glenstorm just lead a cavalry charge to the back of the tomberins. And guys, this fight, there's no blood, but it is brutal. This fight, like, Anything in the first movie, this fight puts to shame. It looks cool. I'm not gonna lie; it's, it's good CGI, good effects, but it is, it is incredibly intense for a kids movie. <laughs> and then Suspespian sends his infantry, and no matter what the Narnians do, whether they're attacking from the rear or the front or shooting people in pits, doesn't really matter. It seems the Narnians' day has come. They're gonna, they're gonna lose, especially after the artillerymen. Send boulders crashing into the gate of the Howl, sealing it so they can't run there for safety. But Lucy is able to get in the woods far enough for Aslan to meet her. And the first thing Aslan does in the movie is jump over Lucy and just murder some telmarines. He's like, Hello there, Lucy. Haven't seen you. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Telmarines make me gassy. What's up? Um. <laughs> I mean, would Liam Neeson... I mean, can you even have a movie where Liam Neeson doesn't just kill a bunch of people?
0: I don't know. And then after he murders some mortal marines, he looks to Lucy and says, And now I think your friends have slept long enough, don't you? And then Aslan gives a little roar, and he awakens the trees of Narnia from their 1300-year nap. And the trees are like, five more minutes, Aslan. (laughs) Thirteen hundred years, isn't enough. The last instant, Caspian has fallen into a sinkhole. Glazel is hovering over him, halberd in hand. He's about to impale the prince, and then he hesitates for a moment. Don't know why. Maybe Glazel has a moment of of sympathy, or a moment of of humanity for this young prince. Maybe he's a changed man. Maybe he's like, what am I doing? This is the the rightful king of Narnia. Why am I fighting him? Maybe he's about to throw down his halberd and embrace Caspian for the ruler he is, but he doesn't get that chance because a root just shoots out of the ground, picks him up, and just snaps his neck.
1: And snap his neck. (laughs) He's violently accosted by... The bottom of a tree,
0: a <laughs> root picks him up like the Incredible Hulk in the first Avenger movie to Loki, and just smashes him against a <laughs> against a rock. Peter helps Caspian out of the pit, and the trees fully animated, just walking walking trees, just walk out on the battlefield, and, and their roots pretty incredible, and they just you know just just beat up all these people. Now, I will say again. Effects-wise, this movie came out in 2008. CGI in this battle with these trees is awesome. Like, this whole battle scene was really fun to watch. I'm not going to lie and say that. Like, it caught my attention watching this final battle
1: scene. To be honest, I have kind of lost attention at this point. Well. And I was like half into this battle. I was like, did... Tolkien steal the Ents from C.S. Lewis? Now we know. Yes, he Perhaps. did. <laughs> Lewis wrote him first. I, now I thought it was the other way around. Originally, I thought he, uh, maybe uh, Narnia was based on the Ents, but... Narnia was first. <laughs> yes, the Christians come up with all the good stuff. and the atheists just steal it and try to make it their own.
0: Yeah. Peter, Caspian, Susan, and Edmund yep. lead a counter charge, and the Telmarines run away from the trees. And they get to the bridge that they worked so hard to build. But on the bridge, on the other side, they see Lucy, armed with nothing but like a letter opener. She's just like, shink, look at my little sword. They're like, she's like the hobbit. We can take on this, this little girl. We're Telmarines. hoo But then, a big old lion comes out. And, and is like, hmm, don't know about that. But then he's like, nah, let's charge. And they charge, and they're going across the bridge, and, and some of the soldiers in full armor are walking and swimming through the river, and they're not drowning, which doesn't make no sense, because armor's made out of metal, and that shouldn't make you sink, but nah, don't worry about that. And then, <laughs> the river turns into Jason Momoa. Long, flowing river hair and everything. And he just is like standing by the bridge. He's a triad. A water dryad. Dryads are the trees. Triads are the rivers. He's a he's a river a river man. And he's sitting there and he's just taking out the marines that were that were coming after uh, you know, coming after Lucy and Aslan. And at one point when he's taking them out, he does a straight up hair flip. He does, like he's in an herbal essence commercial. He's just fighting them and then hair flips it back. Like, okay. Go on with your bad self. Basically what he intends to. So Pespian's entire army is wiped out by this river person. And it just leaves Pespian basically by himself on this bridge, which is ripped up off of its moorings. And he's just sent on a little, little boat ride. The Narnians have won. Any remaining troops render their weapons... And Aslan receives Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Caspian. And he's like, sup, my dogs? up, dudes? You need to rise, kings and queens of Narnia, all of you. Making it clear to Caspian that uh, it's cool. He can be the next king. Caspian's like, but I don't think I'm ready. And Aslan's like, if you were ready, you'd be a terrible king. Duh! Caspian's like, that makes sense. I think I'm ready now. And then Aslan backhands him and goes, No, you're not supposed to be ready!
1: That's what I just said! Backpawed by a lion.
0: And then a little band of mice bring the body of Reepa Cheep forward on a litter. Reepa Cheep was was crushed, trampled, shot. Someone brought a gun and shot him. Um, (laughs) It's a magical Narnia gun. What did you say? He was shot.
1: Susan probably shot him in her zeal. She's like, ah, I never liked that mouse anymore. Anyway. Uh,
0: yeah, she stopped shooting bows and arrows for a while, then just pulls out a Glock out of her. <laughs> hey, she came from the future. Hey, I'm going oh, a- oh, to make you ask Aslan's why. Pop, 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 pop. Poor little Reaper Chief. He's dead. But then Lucy gives him a little drop, and Reaper Chief rises, and he sees Aslan, and he's like, Oh man, that's Aslan, guys. And then he bows, but he can't bow very good cuz he's out of balance cuz he ain't got no tail no more. His tail was chopped off. He's like, "Aslan, I need my tail, man. My tail is what makes me. I'm awesome cuz of my tail." And Aslan's like, you don't need your tail." And then all of his mice buddies behind him are like, "Hey, hey, the guy, hey buddy. Hey, <laughs> reap a jeep. We'll just cut our tails off too. We'll just be the tailless mice warriors." <laughs> and then aslan's like well, hold on a second i'll give you back your tail not because of you you're you're terrible but because i don't want to see a whole bunch of a whole bunch of mice mutilate themselves in front of me so you can have your tail back <laughs> after after Cheep gets his tail aslan then turns to trumpkin and uh he's he just roars at him real, real big. and and trumpkin is clearly terrified cuz there's this lion roaring in his face and he's like hey you believe that i exist now and trumpkin's like Yeah, I do, but can we just talk about how half of your kings and queens over
1: there didn't believe you? You're not roaring in their face. Yeah, I did not understand (laughs) what this scene was. He's like, I I didn't know he couldn't see Aslan. The Trump kid's like,
0: listen, I never saw you before. You know, 1,300 years ago, those morons walked beside you, and half of them can't see you. Why are you not roaring at them? (laughs) But As is like, chill out, because you're Peter Dinklage. I just wanted to roar at you.
1: And then... Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to use the roaring CGI one more time is what it was. It is pretty cool.
0: Aslan, they did a great job with As The CGI is incredible in this movie. It really is. Yeah. But uh, Aslan leads Caspian and the four Pevensey children through the Telmarine's capital city. So they go into the, the, cas- or the castle, and Caspian's like, Hey guys, I'm... <laughs> I'm 12 years old. Full full five o'clock shadow, but I'm twelve. It's gonna be cool from now on. Pizza parties every Friday on me. It's gonna have a great time here. Narnia is gonna be uh pretty sweet. We're gonna we have Aslan's how. I'm gonna I'm gonna have Caspian's win. Brand new nightclub. We're gonna open up next Thursday. It's gonna be awesome. And uh they, they get to this little courtyard, all the Pevensies and and Caspian and Aslan. And then Aslan starts to tell the Telmarines, Listen, Caspians are king, but if you don't like this, I will I'll send you back to the land of your forefathers. And they're like, well, hold on a second. We came from Telmar, and Telmar is uh, a pit. It's not a cool place. I don't want to go to Telmar. And Aslan's like, we're not talking about Telmar. I'm talking about the place you first were. See, all the Telmarines came from Earth. They were pirates. arr, And they got shipwrecked on a, the island of Guam. Where they found a little cave. I don't know if it was Guam. Could have been. Why not? They found a little It was they found, it was they found a little cave that had a a little portal that led them into the realm of Narnia, which is why Caspian would be able to bring back the Red Queen with his blood. Remember, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve are humans from Earth. She needed the blood of a son of Adam in order to bring him back. He was not born, or his people were not originally Narnians or even Telmarines. They were Earthlings. And he's like, hey, there's this deserted island I'm going to send you guys to. It's pretty sweet. Actually, right now it's not. It's the 1940s. I'm pretty sure Japan is all over that island uh, building tunnels and whatnot. But, if you avoid those guys, (laughs) it'll be cool. I'm in a few years, America's going to come in and basically just take over. It'll be alright. Um, and, you know, a few marines accept it. And they go back through the, the portal of the Narnian world. Matter of fact, uh, Glazel, who miraculously recovered from his a tree assault, say, hey, I'm going to go first. And I got uh, uh, Queen Pruna Prismia and her newborn son, Miraz Jr., with me. We'll go first. And so they walk through uh, this portal that Aslan creates between these two trees, and they disappear. But first, Aslan goes, hey, because you guys volunteered first... You're gonna have a pretty sweet life over there, and then he breathes on him because that's how Aslan does—just some hot lion breath. <sighs> Save you from being petrified and give you a good life. And then over in the corner, there's this like blonde British lady going, and that's the power of Orbit, ding. And so, uh-
1: <laughs> Aslan already has good breath.
0: Now, so yeah, they walk through these trees, and uh, they disappear. And so the other tail Marines are like, hey, hold on a second. For all we know, you just, um, like, obliterated them. Like, they, they they could be just dead right now. You probably should be, we, should, you know, we think you're trying to kill us. And then Cheeps like, hey, I got my tail back. Why don't I walk through this thing? And then you guys will know, hey, old Cheap did it, so I can do it too. And then Aslan goes, seriously, I do not like you go away. And then Peter's like, we'll go. And then Lucy's like, what? what?" He's like, look, it's not our time anymore. Okay. It's not our time anymore. We had our time 1300 years ago. Now it's time for us to go back home. And furthermore, he says that, uh, look, it's time for, for me and, and Susan, Peter says, it's time for me and Susan to go live our lives on earth where we belong. We ain't coming back to Narnia no more. Lucy's like, hold on a second, we're not coming back to Narnia? And he's like, no, you will, and Edmund will, but just not us, because we have been terrible this whole movie, and that's our punishment. We're not allowed to come back.
1: (laughs) Apparently they have learned everything that they can from Narnia, even though it seems like it's the other two that have have learned anything from Narnia.
0: I think it's like this. Aslan took him to the side and was like, listen, you've been here twice. Okay? Both times you two haven't learned snot. You haven't learned nothing. <laughs> Alright? You, Susan, turn into a bossy know-it-all murderer. And you, Peter, you're just you're just the worst. You're just just bad and I do not like you. You two gone. Lucy and Edmund, they're pretty cool. They can come back. You two, uh-uh, done with you. Get narnie out.
1: That's what really happened. That was the real reason. I brought
0: you Narnie in. Now I'm taking you Narnie out. (laughs) But before they go through the portal, Susan has to have the obligatory romantic conversation with Caspian with this romance that they shoehorned into this movie for absolutely no reason. And Susan Uh gives Caspian a romantic kiss goodbye and said, This would never work out because I'm 1,300 years older than you are. And then she winks she winks oh. in a way that's almost indescribable let me let me just I'm, let me try <laughs> imagine someone who has never winked before right they don't understand the concept of winking but then you uh. say look when you wink all it is is closing one eye like that and then the person that's never winked before is goes do i have to do it like really really fast and yet completely obvious. No, no, you don't. That's the opposite of what a wink is. I mean, you could do it funny and obviously <laughs> it's slow, but, or you can do it even like fast and not be weird about it. She's like, no, I'm going to be real weird about it. That was terrible. That was horrible. You made me uncomfortable. You deserve to be called Phyllis. Go away. It was bad. Phyllis.
1: <laughs> like, this made me so uncomfortable. I'm
0: 1300 years older than she you She
1: accomplished are. exactly, exactly what she intended. Or exactly what uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say I don't know it was awkward so awkward I can' so awkward I can't describe it I think right afterward you have to watch this movie so you too can feel it I think awkwardness.
0: right after this movie or right after she leaves Narnia the fourth step through the portal and they're they're back on the railroad platform and they they get on the the train and go off to to school um, I think as soon as they did there's a cut scene where it's Caspian turns around to Reap and she's like I've dodged that bullet. You see how weird she winked at me? That was odd.
1: <laughs> that was terrible. He's not into cougars. I
0: think she might have like some nerve damage or something. What in the world was that? <laughs> it was like it was like a, a mannequin winked at me. Did you see that? That was so weird. So weird, Reap. He's like, I know. I know, man. That was so weird. And then Asla's like, yeah, it was that was I didn't tell her to do that. <laughs> she didn't do that. I didn't breathe on her or nothing for her to do that. I, I don't even know. He just
1: put up with her because he needed the uh, he needed the approval of the high kings. Otherwise, the people wouldn't accept him. But now that they were gone, you know, he was, and then, he was quite. And relieved. then
0: Caspian's like, "Okay, First Order is king. No winking. She ruined it for everyone. <laughs> From now on, in Narnia, winking is a capital offense. I will kill you if you wink." <laughs> And so the uh, Pevensies are back home on Earth. And Edmund is the only one with regret for leaving Narnia. He's like, do you think I can go back? And they're like, why, Edmund? That Edmund had a flashlight that he left in Narnia. He's like, I want my flashlight back. And then everybody's like, oh, Edmund! And then there was a freeze frame as a uh, as some canned applause from like a sitcom played. And uh, the credits started to roll over <laughs> that freeze frame.
1: <laughs> But then second-rate Harry Potter also showed up. Did you see him just pop his head back in that Yes,
0: he's, he's like, Hello, fellas! You ready? to Go, just go now! <laughs> <laughs> Here at Rotten Righteous, when we can, we rate each movie we watch on the SEPS scale, which is a Greek word, an acronym. That means stinky snake. But we also use it to... Uh, Use it as use the first letters to make up four categories that we rate to each movie on a scale of one to twenty five, and then we put those together and give it a letter of grade. Um, the first letter in Seps is S. Sigma. Sigma stands for scriptural accuracy. I, I mean, I think it is going to be a little bit harder than last week to give it a rating here because it's not so clearly, you know, the gospel story retold. But I still think there mm-hmm. are biblical lessons like we discussed that are are in there.
1: Yeah, I thought there was a ton of good stuff. And uh I mean I didn't see anything anything that was out of whack that I can think of. But uh What about that scene? Yeah. What about that scene <laughs> where Al where
0: Aslan's like, everyone here needs to come forward to the Mourner Stone. Come, come forward to the Mourner Stone and say the prayer and accept Aslan into your heart. What
1: I mean that's <laughs> I mean, nobody got baptized in this movie, so I mean, I should probably dock points off right there. I mean, there.
0: Susan got baptized uh, in <laughs> a wash of blood and vengeance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. That counts, I guess. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I kind of feel like the same as, same as last week where it teaches good lessons through stories and uh, it, they're not like so obvious that you... That's all that you see and can focus on. There's a lot of other cool parts to it as well, so uh, I'll give it a give it a 25.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. You have to work a little bit harder in this story than you did in What Line, the Witch, in the Wardrobe to get these lessons out, but they're there. Uh recommend that you read the book together, because these themes come out so much better in the book, and it's so much more um, streamlined, and it's not so, you don't have to dig through a bunch of weirdness in order to get to the to the lessons inside. But yeah, I'll, I'll give it a 25. The things that they taught uh, are great lessons. Uh, entertainment value. Were you entertained?
1: Uh, I was not as entertained as one line, the witch of the wardrobe. I really felt like this movie was too long and there wasn't enough story to actually fill it. I felt like the battle scene, you know, it was, it was actually the second half that lost my interest. I, I enjoyed the first half. But the battle scenes just seemed like they went on forever. And it seemed like it should, took forever for for Aslan to show up. And there wasn't like any kind of good reason. It was just the scenes, I've, they were too long. And I didn't enjoy them. And so, uh, I'd give it 15 for entertainment. With
0: you, I'm going to give it a 17. Man, they added a whole bunch of weirdness in this that wasn't in the book. And so, that kind of lost my attention. And um, unlike Luke, I loved... I thought the battle scenes were awesome. The CGI was great in it, and it it was brutal and awesome, and yet still fairly clean, but some of the stuff they added was just too much, so I gave it a 17. Uh, Parental control. Hmm.
1: The only thing to worry about here is maybe violence. There's not any blood, and there's not any gore, but it's plenty of shooting people. (laughs) Shooting people with arrows. Susan's mowing people over. Legolas style. Again, Legolas is probably just a based on Susan. Um, this, they're this, basically the this same. Ruin, highly feminine and good archers. This
0: ruin Lord of the Rings for you?
1: I, <laughs> no, uh, I still love Lord of the Rings, but <clears throat> uh, yeah, just uh, swords, violence, fantasy violence. Other than that, it's good. I'll give it a. 20. Yes. There are some creepy parts. I guess the werewolf, the werewolf is pretty creepy and the the duck-billed platypus hag is pretty creepy, but I'll still give it a 20.
0: Well, I think that's what I gave it last week too because of the scary moments that were in line the witch in the wardrobe. There weren't so many scary moments in this movie, but yeah, the the hag. Uh the hag was uh disturbing, but you know, no language, no Yeah, I'll, I'll give that a 20 as well which leads us to, uh, should you recommend, (laughs) I don't know what this last category is. Uh, yeah. Is there any merit to it? Was, can you use this in your spiritual life?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, if you're going to watch any movie, this one's about as, it's about as good as it could get. Um, and I like that it's, so obviously Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe is like the center story of this, of the scriptures. For the crucifixion and the resurrection, but this is this one teaches lessons that are you know, once you are believers, there's some lessons there for how you're supposed to proceed and trusting God and stuff like that. So, those are themes that aren't as explored as often as kind of the major theme of the crucifixion and resurrection. So, I, I liked it and um, I give it a 22 because it's not quite as entertaining as the first one,
0: a 25 only because, like. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I could see this as being a pretty effective teaching tool to younger people to get their attention and to explain maybe some more abstract concepts that the Bible presents. That are you know we're always looking as preachers for good illustrations, good ways to explain difficult parts of the Bible and difficult things that we need to know. Right, and this is what. It, I would say this movie is a great explanation on the need to trust God and to go against the crowds and to be brave enough to stand up for your convictions even when everyone else says that you're wrong. So for that, I'll give it a 25. Scott, what did you think about this movie? I thought again, bunch of crap. Making Jesus into a lion is just too far for me. I prefer my Jesus to be white, Caucasian, blue-eyed, rippling abs. (laughs) Right <laughs> I don't want to see no blind Jesus. I don't wanna see no Middle Eastern Jesus. Jesus was a white European. Okay, Scott, thank you. Informative as always. Solid. Well, there you have it, folks. At the end of the day, Prince Caspian. Movie number two of the Chronicles of Narnia is given an eighty five, which, although it is not an A plus like last week, it is still an A. So there you go. Prince Caspian, and A. I think that's about right. And uh, yep. as always, we use Carleton University's grading scale. Go Ravens. Go!
1: It's <laughs> my favorite part of this whole show. <laughs> I know,
0: but that's going to do it for the Rotten and Righteous podcast this week. As always, uh, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Luke Taylor. Before we go, Luke. I find it strange, you know, whenever we read through, like, children books and watch, you know, teen movies and stuff. You realize that, you know, the people that, that read the Harry Potter books are would, would love the opportunity to go to Hogwarts, right? And Those that read right. Prin- Prince Caspian, line the Witch of the Wardrobe, Narnia seems like a pretty sweet place to go, right? But I feel... Seems alright, yeah. With that in mind, I feel real bad for the Hunger Games fans. You, you never... <laughs>
1: Good night, everybody. <laughs> no Maybe they, maybe they want to go. Never see there. a Hunger Games fan going, man, I'd
0: love to be in the Hunger Games. <laughs> I need sheep's milk and a dirty cloth. This man is suffering from dropsy. Let me smack him upon the forehead with soaked, dirty
1: cloth and milk.
0: He uses a lot
1: of- I think you could come up with some creative solutions.
0: He uses a lot of goats and sheep in his medicine. (laughs) (laughs) You there. (laughs) Bring me some goose dung. This man has a sore throat.
1: (laughs) Goose dung. (laughs)
0: Oh, no, the plague is here. Bring me stale bread. I shall heal him. (laughs) Uh, I'd
1: I'd be murder in like five seconds. Could you date or marry a girl with a Louisiana, like a thick swamp Louisiana accent?
0: It depends on whether or not I'm allowed to also, adapt a thick Louisiana accent because I married her.
1: If you could, would you? Yeah, absolutely.
0: If I could just start <laughs> talking like this, be like, we're not haunting, we're We're going to go get that crawfish out of that crawfish trash over there, and then we're going to go over here and have ourselves a good old steaming steam pot gumbo.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine preaching a whole sermon like that? <laughs> now, 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 you all need to listen here for a minute, all right? I'm about to preach or something. Oh, Jeebus, Jeebus, he died on cross over there, and then, and then he i came <laughs>
1: um- <laughs> I'm really, I'm really tempted to go look up a sermon now in a thick Louisiana accent.
0: Now, 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 Jeebus, he died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. Yes, he did, mm-hmm, brother. He oh. did. <laughs>